walked out of that room and I walked out of my career, my international career. It's widely believed that this is the phone that has changed phones forever. Turning to our top story this morning, and that is confirmation of the first case of COVID-19 in the Republic. I need you to get me your vote on November 4th. Let's get Brexit done. Time now to return to our series exploring News Talk's 20 most influential moments of the past two decades. Every day across the station, we're looking back at an influential moment chosen by our listeners. And today we are looking at the birth of streaming. Our listening and viewing habits have changed dramatically with the growth of services like Netflix, Amazon Prime and Spotify. So what does it mean for old staples like vinyl? Are they just relics now? Well, no better man to ask than News Talk's own Tom Dunn. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Kira. Video killed kill the radio star. The has, has streaming killed the likes of record players? Not really. No, record players are very strong and probably selling more than they have sold in years. But it has it has killed the CD, being no doubt about that. The CD is, Dead. I think, completely yeah. doomed, utterly doomed. I saw some figures, think at the height of its sales in the US, it was worth about $9 billion of the $10 billion market. And it's now worth $1 billion of the still $10 billion market. So the money has literally switched over to streaming. And that's where, and, it, and it's just as strong. Record companies are making fortunes. But yes, vinyl is is still there. And I love it. I got loads of great records this year on vinyl. And there, there's a heft about vinyl. There's something there wonderful. Is. But streaming is everything. And I, I have nothing, apart from the financial side, nothing but good things to say about it. It's It makes everything that was ever recorded from back to Beethoven, the Beatles, Bowie, Broken Social Scene, British Sea Power. They're just the bees. All at your fingertips. You can you can Google in French music 1930 and it'll give you things to play. Music's never been more available to you. But and also, is it really hard it, on artists, Tom? Because is it the death of the album? Now I agree with you. I, I'm still buying little bits of vinyl and I, and I definitely stream all the time. But but I don't necessarily listen to albums the way I once did. I I, I kind of tend to put playlists together and stuff like that. And and how are artists getting paid? That's the really hard part about this. Now, at the moment, a woman called Nadine Shah is is talking in the UK a great deal about it. And she's telling stories. She was nominated for a Mercury Prize last year. And you would have retired on a Mercury Prize nomination about 20 years ago. She had to move back in with her folks during the summer. That's the position that she is in. And she's in her 30s. And she's saying, like... This is not what being a household name is supposed to be all about. And it's it all comes down to the usual stuff. There's a pie of money and it's it's never been more badly divided. Spotify and other streaming services are taking loads of it. Record companies are taking a fortune from it. And artists have never been so badly squeezed. The amount they're getting from streaming is laughable to the point where a lot of independent artists are trying to avoid it. I had a great girl called uh, Emma Swift. I loved her album, an album of uh, Bob Dylan cover versions called Blonde on the tracks that I thought was just brilliant. She tried to not release it to digital. Um, you had to write, I had to write to her in Nashville and then she sent me a copy of it. And it was a relatively big hit in those in those terms. But just now she's announcing that she can't live on that model anymore. She has to let the album stream. You have to hand over your stuff because it puts you all over the world. People in, in any country in the world can, can just Google you, find you, play your music. That's what having a hit Is was Is that much use, Tom, about. though, if you're not making a penny from it? It's no use whatsoever. <laughs> so you're, you're known it, around the world, but you're <laughs> totally broke. Starving. Well, I remember we were signing our record contract and the man, the lawyer looking after said, you know, you could be a household name and still on the dole. 
And I didn't think that was the truth, but it did actually come true. Um, but it, I would have thought it was going away at this point, but it seems to be more true than ever that you can be a household name and not be making a penny from it. So that can't continue. And Nadine okay. Shah will stay living with her folks. She mightn't go back to music. And then it's everybody's loss. So the pie needs to be divided. They're looking at it in England and it's just, it's so unfair. It's ridiculous. And it, it's unsustainable because people can't afford to make music. Tom, the, the other thing that, and I don't disagree with a word you said, the other concern I have about uh, about streaming is, I don't know if you find this as well, but I am, my, my problem is I tend to go back to the old reliables. I think I'm listening to less mu- new music now. And I, I got my top songs for 2020 from Spotify yesterday. The number one song on my playlist uh, that I listened to most last year, Lloyd Cole and the Commotions, Are You Ready to Be Heartbroken, which was released Ooh. in 1984. Yeah, that's not good. And I'll tell you straight. <laughs> it's a very but, good song, in fairness. But Tom, I am not alone. I'll tell you what. I am not alone. Tell, this is, yeah. the, and particularly during lockdown, a lot of people I know went back to li- listen to 80s music and stuff. Like there yeah. is a tendency to reach for the old reliables as opposed to listening uh, to new music. Yeah, I think the problem is that we're used to a model where a lot of what you're listening to is coming to you from the radio, from shows that you tune into, that you trust those people or whatever, uh, and that, that drives your taste. But now you're picking your own music and you're, you're always going to fall for your old favourites. You're always going to want to pair the same shirt again today. I love can, that shirt. Can we I'm talk about, obviously music streaming is one thing, but the other thing that has, is now widely streamed is, is what we watch on TV. So people are now streaming Netflix, Amazon Prime, maybe the players, rather than actually tuning into terrestrial television. And that's changed things enormously too. Yeah, it is. It's like the, when we were growing up, the big players were BBC and UTV and, and RT, and now they've been replaced by... Uh, by Netflix and Amazon Prime and Disney. It's like they're now the big stations. You know, it's what are you watching? Not on the BBC tonight. What are you watching on Netflix tonight? And there's no question. That's a fundamental change. I find the idea of needing to wait for a programme very um, hard to believe. The undoing made us all watch it uh, week by week. And it was unique to have to sit down on the couch at nine o'clock on a Monday night and wait for the new episode. Our Our minds have changed. We're used to it instantly and on demand. And that's now, once you're used to that, it's never going to change. You have to mention one thing in all this. Music was always driven by youth. And, and that is still the big driver in this. And it's not, you and I can talk till the cows come home, but it's our children who will yeah. drive how music is consumed. I liked to see that Billie Eilish made my top five list, although she was up there with Oriam oh, and Smith. And, and what Prince. a name drop. <laughs> I bet you Taylor Swift was Down on yours. Kids. Don't deny I it. I did discover, he, he I listened didn't. to Cardigan yesterday. Very good single, actually, I have to say. It's yeah, one of the most good. listened to songs yeah. on Spotify last year. But it is yeah, good. there you go. You're, you're not, you're catching yeah, up. I'm branching um, out. Yeah, even well, my 12 year old is, is over uh, Billy Eilish at this stop point. Stop it. I'm yeah. always behind so, it. So, I am so behind, I'm behind Sarah every Kelly. curve. What can I say? Look, thank you for that. Indeed, that is News Talk's own Tom Dunn. And you can listen to him uh, on News Talk on, on podcast as well, obviously as well. And uh, there is more coverage of the birth of streaming throughout today on News Talk as we continue to explore the 20 most influential moments from the past two decades. And Jonathan Healy is going to delve into the business and figures beside some of the biggest streaming platforms. And Sean Moncrief will go back in time and hear how one man preserve the TV of the past with his VHS collection. This is Jonathan Healy uh, filling in for Pat Kelly this morning. Gav McLaughlin is Newstalk's Deputy Business Editor. How are you, Gav? Not bad, Jonathan. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I, I'm an old-fashioned man, Gavin. Um, I, I, I grudgingly watch these streaming services. I, I, I long for the collective experience of linear television that we grew up, well, I grew up, but you're younger than me. You probably you probably have watched nothing but Netflix since you were 10. Uh, tell us a little bit about the power 
of of Netflix and Amazon and the other streaming sites that that have really uh, disrupted how television works. Yeah, well, look, let's start with the music end of things and, and just to give you my own personal experience on it, I want to take you back to 2005. I was 15 years old. I listened to music on a disc man. Uh, you could have maybe 12 tracks oh, at a time. You're, you're, hey, you're older than I thought there, kid. I, uh, I, 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 I thought you, you know, were younger. You carry as well. Thanks, thanks, for, uh, thanks for thinking I was younger anyway. Uh, but uh, one day, a, a buddy of mine turns up in school with an MP3 player called the Creative Zen. I'd never heard of an MP3 player before. And there were thousands of songs on this thing. It was about the size of Game Boy. You could sc- scroll through it like a library. And my mind was blown in a way it never has been by any gadget before or since. It just seemed like such a leap on what we had. Well, fast mm. forward another 15 years and even that is now totally obsolete. It might as well be a fax machine. And uh, the reason, of course, uh, that it's obsolete is uh, the, r- the rise of streaming. Yeah, because streaming, of course, I mean, being the old man that I am, I automatically went to television. But streaming music has become so common. Um, And even on my phone here uh, that is sitting next to me, I I have two opportunities to listen to music without having a physical thing in my hand. And the established giants of the old world really had to rush to embrace streaming, didn't they? Yeah, well, Apple, like, you know, the biggest company in the world who were pioneers in the MP3 world with the iPod, you know, they were, you know, it was similar to the the old way in one sense in that you had your music collection which you owned. You could upload your CDs to iTunes, buy your digital downloads, but it was an ownership model. And there was a view, I think, that there was a value to ownership. People liked the idea of owning their music. Uh, But the reality, of course, as as we now know, is most people don't actually care about that Apple they had to shift to to streaming with Apple Music and in video streaming probably the most interesting development over the last year or so has been the launch of uh, Disney Plus because Disney this massive entertainment giant realised that they had fallen behind and that if they wanted to get their content to people the internet is increasingly where it's at so they went on an enormous shopping spree buying in content things like Pixar Lucasfilm 24th Century Fox and that has helped them, uh, you know, have a very good first year of Disney Plus and maybe make make uh, back up some of the ground uh, that they had lost. Yeah, how good a year, though. I mean, t- talk about timing and everything like that. Give us the numbers uh, behind the different services. I presume you're looking at... Um, Netflix as being the biggest beast. Yeah, so Netflix has uh, 198 million subscribers. They'll finish the year on more than 200. Uh, Disney Plus, which launched in November of last year, they've racked up 73.7 million in a little over a year. So that's a very good number and it, and it's much faster growth than Netflix would have had historically. Uh, Gavin, uh, Gavin, I would pay for it five times over. It buys us peace and time in our house. They can sit there and watch it for, for at least two or three hours and we'd forget they're there. It's worth its weight in gold, Disney+. Plus. Yeah, well, there you go. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it certainly seems to be doing very well. Uh, some of the, the other services I might mention will do other things for you on top of keeping the kids quiet, Jonathan. If you take Amazon Prime, now they're slightly a different animal because uh, streaming is sort of an add-on. A lot of it is to do with sort of getting other benefits, you know, to do with your package deliveries with Amazon, uh, etc. But uh, I saw an estimate from one market analyst recently that 40% of the US population has an Amazon Prime membership which is absolutely astonishing uh, and la- last one I mentioned just is um, Now TV which is Sky and this is another example of you know kind of an established player having to pivot towards streaming so Now TV is basically where you can st- stream s- the sports say for a month or Sky movies you know you just stream them on your device there's no satellite dish or, or, or contract that's had record uh, take up and user numbers this year uh, mm. Sky told me uh, uh, although they don't break out separate figures 
No, so in other words, you've got new entrants to the market there. You've one established one. The others are smarting, aren't they? There's, there are still new services to come. Yeah, Warner Brothers is probably the next big one we're going to see here. It's already launched in the US. HBO Max uh, is what it's called. It's probably going to be in some parts of Europe next year. A little bit dearer uh, than uh, Netflix and Disney+, Plus, but HBO obviously have a lot of good content. Peacock is another one. That's owned by NBC, the massive US cable network. They have the Harry Potter films. Uh, that's US only at the moment as well. Uh, but I suppose you know it's clear there's going to be more competition uh, coming down the road for Netflix I- in Europe. Yeah, I, we're not going to pay for them all, by the way. I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to at, at some point stop paying for the number of well, services that are there. Well, that's it, and and each of them has to do what they can to make sure that they're the one you pay for, and and particularly for Netflix. I mean, they had the first mover advantage, but they don't have the big studio behind them like some of the other guys do. They they kind of had to come up with it themselves from scratch, uh, and and you know they've managed to be very successful with their original content, uh, which is going to be even more crucial going forward because as other studios are doing their own streaming services, you know it's probably going to be harder for Netflix to license titles mm-hmm. off other studios so if you look at t- things like Tiger King and The Queen's Gambit the chess thing that's just come out I haven't seen it although I hear it's good oh, no, they've been particularly it. successful for brilliant. Netflix this year yeah Queen's Gambit's done really really well no 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 definitely watch that one um, th- we, we lament the demise of other brands um, my children will never know the joy of walking around an extra vision uh, it, it was uh, or indeed a HMV Things that that preoccupied me a lot when I was their age. Uh, we we have lost a lot of brands, and it just shows you no matter how successful you think you are, you can be eaten quite quickly. Yeah, and I mean I'm with you on Extravision HMV. I, I I certainly do miss them. I used to love going to HMV uh, and just browsing the stuff. So I mean they have killed off places like this, but uh, streaming it, it does seem to have killed off other things as well uh, in a more positive sense. I just want to talk to you about internet piracy because ten or fifteen years ago. You things like Napster or you LimeWire, sort of lots of dodgy video streaming sites as well. And there was a lot of piracy, uh, you know, going on on, on on these things. There still is a lot of piracy going on, but the evidence suggests actually that it's declining pretty substantially. And part of that, I, I think, is that some of these uh, dodgy sites that were out there have been taken down by the cops. But the rise of sort of legal alternatives, I think, has to have played a role. The, the Netflix subscription, I mean, it is pretty good value. And, you know, you pay your nine ninety nine a month. You're not taking the risk of riddling your computer uh, with viruses that you would have if you were on these other sites before. Uh, just to give you some more stats on this, there's a crowd called the European Union Intellectual Property Office. Their most recent report covers 2017 and 2018. And they reckon that in that period, consumption of pirated music fell 32% in Europe. Mm and consumption of pirated films fell 19%. So, um, you know, that's one of the, the, the other positive things of this, I suppose. OK, Gavin McLaughlin, uh, News Talk's Deputy Business Editor. Thank you uh, for that run-through. Now here on News Talk, as you know, we are um, continuing our 20 by 20 series, taking a look back at some of the 20 most influential moments of the past two decades as voted by you, the listeners, over the past two weeks. And today we are looking at the rise of Netflix and other global uh, global streaming platforms, things like Disney Plus and more importantly, reflecting on how they've changed our own viewing and uh, TV consumption habits. Well, Porik joins us here on News Talk as a TY student at the time, Porik, you found yourself endlessly binge-watching shows during the first lockdown. Um, what's your view on all of this? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I think during lockdown, Netflix and streaming services definitely did kind of take on an increased kind of importance. 
you, I was thinking a lot of days, oh, I'm going to get up, I'm going to do something really productive, but I'd, I'd end up just getting up at 12 and dragging myself downstairs to watch five hours of Netflix. And I think Netflix has really just thrived on this kind of on-demand culture we have. You know, you always say one more episode, and it never is just one more. You know, the whole phenom- phenomenon of, of binge-watching really has taken over from uh, scheduled TV. Like, I find there's almost a novelty in, in sitting down at a specific time to watch something on TV. It just rarely happens now. Yeah, that's really how it's changed isn't it in, in many ways where you know you might have known that like Love Hate was on RTE television on a Sunday night at half nine or the fall or whatever the programme is Line of Duty you know but whereas now you can sit down and you can watch the whole thing back to back Yeah no I, I recently watched the new series The Undoing on Sky Atlantic and it was a big kind of shock to the system to me to have to wait a whole week for the next episode I mean, imagine having to wait for an episode that was something really kind of kind of novel to me it was like, I think people these days and of my generation probably have shorter attention spans and Netflix kind of feeds on that. It always leaves you with a hook or something to get you to watch the next episode at the end of every episode. And in that way, it's kind of changed the way TV is made as well. How d- does that impact um, on your, I suppose, your, your day-to-day studies or, or schoolwork or work work? Well, I think I think it's it's almost the best and the worst thing about Netflix. You know, it's it's excellent. You can just, you can really just get enthralled in what you're watching and you can you can keep going with it, but at the same time, yeah, it's like I, I I remember times during lockdown where I was kind of I was watching a series and I wasn't really enjoying it, but I still you'd still keep watching it. You just you just click next episode because oh it's played oh I have to watch this now it's it's auto played and you you can watch a whole series in a day and not even realize. Do you put that down to the fact that it was during the pandemic and look obviously things were different and people were anxious and and probably a bit bored as well or or would that be sort of your normal kind of way you might consume TV and series? Well, I'd consider myself a very active person, but even 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 me now, I, I thought like I wouldn't really enjoy kind of lazing around, but like it almost it just hooked me in. Like I think it wouldn't be it wouldn't be quite normal for me. I'd say it was it was kind of a result of the of the lockdown, but. I don't think I'm alone in saying that you can really get swept away no. in just in just binge watching, and it has happened at times that aren't in the pandemic. And yeah. I'm sure, yeah, people of my age tend to do that a lot. Ruth also joins us here as well on Lunchtime Live this afternoon. Um, Ruth, what's your uh, how how does the likes of the global streaming services impact your day to day consumption of uh, of TV? Hi, Andrea. How are you? Good. Um, I, and actually, for in terms of family life, it makes things a lot easier <laughs> because there's so much uh, available now that when there's a new movie out or a new series out and the kids really want to go see it, particularly in the last number of months where everything was so restricted, we can still have that fun moment and we can decide to watch it at a time of the day or a time of the week that suits us as a family rather than having to go to the cinema at 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning because that's when they have the kids show on. Who wants to go as an adult to the cinema at 11 o'clock on a yeah. Saturday morning, you know? So so do you think for family life, has it been a good thing? I think it is a great thing, actually, yeah. Because, um, to be honest, I think the massive change that has happened is the quality of how we can watch and what we can watch at home doesn't differ that vastly anymore to what you would experience at the cinema. You know, I'm in my 40s. Growing up, to go to the cinema was a massive thing Mm. when you were a child. Now, um, you can stream in HD. A lot of people have sound bars. They practically have home cinemas. So the chance to curl up together, eat whatever food you choose, throw on the fire if it's snowing as it is now, and have a really nice, relaxing evening at home instead of rushing out to the cinema, paying for parking, 
dragging everyone through a shopping centre to get there, facing traffic. I think there's, there's a lot more around going to a cinema that has become a hassle. Um, whereas you can factor it into your family weekend um, or it could just be that you're, because I, I have teenagers and a child in primary school, people want to watch different things mm. and that's, that's available to us now. We yeah. have more choice. Do you still watch regular TV yourself? <laughs> I do, very old school. Soaps. <laughs> but I would find that I would, I would watch a combination of the two. More often than not, though, I would be recording something on, um, you know, normal TV and, uh, and watching it still at a time that suits me. What okay. I find it, it, interesting, actually, just to reflect back on what Pork was saying, is the kind of on-demand versus watching something that's coming out at a set time. I even loved the fact that, because we have Apple TV also, and a lot of these streaming services have been really clever, um, and they'll bring out uh, shows like The Morning Show, for instance, or Defending Jacob. Mm. Both of those were on Apple TV, and you had to wait for the next episode to come out every week. And I, I was, you were waiting. They were really well-made TV. Um, it was the thing you would be discussing with your family, or I might have watched the first two and then my husband would go, oh God, that looks really interesting. And then my eldest daughter would join us and she'd catch up on episode one and two and join us for episode three. Um, so they're not necessarily trying to compete with cinema or with the likes of the normal channels they're doing their own thing and they're doing it in a very clever way Yeah okay Listen Roy also joins us here as well on a news talk this afternoon Roy why did you get in touch? Hi Andrea um, So I come up from a different angle um, to most of the people who have contributed to this um, article I'm an IT contractor and I travel an awful lot in business as do many sales people and consultants and all sorts so over the years, um, I'd be watching DVDs in different countries just to kill time. Um, traveling in airports and trains, they were great back in the day. But the amount of DVDs you have to carry and so on, um, and the expense of doing all that and then having to store them when you get back, that just became a huge burden for me. So with, the, with streaming coming online with Netflix and, and whoever else, that made my life incredibly easier, mm. um, far easier, I have to say. Um, quite often, in the, in, back in the day, you'd be buying a bunch of DVDs and take a chance that maybe you'll watch two or three of them in a week that you're away and, and discard the rest because they're just rubbish. But Netflix is fantastic in the sense that it uses a great algorithm to choose um, or suggest movies that you may want to watch based on your viewing habits. So people who travel a lot like speed of access and that is a huge benefit to the likes of me. Yeah, absolutely. So this has made a massive change. Or I suppose mainly it's, it's probably more so convenience really, Roy, is it? It's convenience, yeah. And to be able to stop and pause and then resume when the flight, when the flight lands and then resume when you get back to your hotel is great. Trying to do that with DVDs was just a nightmare. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing I kind of, I wonder do people miss is, you know, you remember when you used to go into the, um, your extra vision store or we used to have, I remember back in, yeah. in, in Ballyshannon and Donegal, we had the video shop that you went into, you know, on a Saturday evening and you, you spent time having to pick out whatever, you know, movie or, or series, whatever it was you were going to rent for the night. And that's all kind of gone now. You've just, you know, you nearly spend as long sitting, looking through Netflix or whatever streaming service to find what series you're going to watch yeah but that's what I'm saying that there are suggestions of 
stuff that you may have an interest in based on your viewing habits is fantastic. That speeds up that. And everything nowadays is about getting there faster. So that's a huge big benefit. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Listen, Roy, Ruth and Porrick, thanks for joining us here on Lunchtime Live this afternoon. Now, as we've been doing across the station, we're once again looking at some of the most significant developments of the last 20 years. And today we're going to be looking at the birth of streaming. Some people, though, prefer old school viewing, such as Greg Malloy, who's amassed a massive collection of VHS tapes. For our younger listeners, VHS was a sort of videotape. Greg runs the YouTube M2 video archive and he joins us now on News Talk. Afternoon, Greg. Hello, Sean. How are you? Thanks now, for having me. Uh, well, thanks for talking to us today. Now, th- did this? Did you deliberately set out to, to create this uh, this archive, or did it kind of happen by accident? It, it, it absolutely happened by accident, Sean. Yeah, um, it, it was basically. Well, I, I kind of started the YouTube channel about fourteen years ago, which is more or less around the same time as um, YouTube itself started. I think it was in around the, the two thousand and six. And uh, basically, I was just uploading family videos and things like that, just using it as more of a place to store them because that would have been something you would have found difficult at the time. So, you know, I was putting them in private and that. But then eventually I started uploading a few football matches, League of Ireland football matches and things like that, just to share with friends with um, with interest in it. And then gradually moved on to the old commercials. And then once the old commercials and little bits of continuity and so on, it started to get a bit of an audience and... Uh, that's kind of where 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 it where it's, it it started from, you know. But mm. it, it definitely wasn't something I intended to do. It was definitely something that grew. Uh, and to just give people a sense of context, uh, it it has two yeah. million views a month now at this stage of the game. Uh, and that's at the minute, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, yeah. It was three million last month. So it can vary, was but it? yeah, it's it's in ar- around that. Yeah. Right. So, Crikey. Um, uh, and we do have a we yeah, do well, we well, do to, have be, f- to be fair. I mean the. the there's 14 years of content on that as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I have five and a half thousand videos. So there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of content, but <laughs> well, a, a loyal base as well. You know? uh, now, just to give people kind of a flavour of the sort of things uh, that Craig has on the YouTube channel, uh, this is a, a clip from 1983, uh, and it's from the Late Late Show. It's from the Gay Burn era. Uh, this is what Late Late Shows used to sound like. This, ladies and gentlemen, is Eileen. How are you, Eileen? Now, I know that you were known as Little Eileen in the yes. theatre. And, and how old are you, Eileen? Seventy-one. Seventy-one. And you're from Donny Carney. I am, sir. Yes. And and where did you start in the in your theatre life, love? Well, I, at the Queen's Theatre, I got a week, a week's engagement, and I got a couple of pounds, a couple of bronze. And did you win a talent contest? Yes, I won the challenge. Yes. That's why I thought I might get a chance to get singing there some song for you. Is that right? Oh, there you are. I'm, I'm sorry, we're, no. we're very late now. But what song was it that you sang, love? Both of us are kidding. That you won the talent contest? Yes, yes, sir. I think I had something to do with McGilligan's Soho. And I had a show. And do you know the words of McGilligan's Soho? Did you win a silver okay, Yes, you handed the cup, and of course we got it initialed on then. Yeah. Well, would yeah. you like to sing a verse of Please, Big Us? Go Please. ahead then and sing them. Yeah. 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 Go ahead where you are. Yeah. Well, all right, then so if you want to come out then. Yes, what? And a bit bad on the feet. Are you a bit bad on the feet? That's all right. Don't mind now. That's all right. Just a little verse now of Mick McGilligan's. Mick McGilligan's. Yes, sir. Yes, I go ahead. Best, no, That's all right. Up. Just one little verse. Let's yeah. hear it. What's 
an Irish man. He's a god with an Irish man. He's a like a man. I'm a master where she goes. She's a I love the way Gabriel says, oh, we're late, we can't do it. And then he goes and does it anyway, because, you know, uh, he's gay burn. Uh, Greg, where do you uh, mostly source the tapes from? Yeah, and I, I'm glad you kind of picked out that one, Sean, because that, that's, uh, there's a little bit of a story behind that one. That, that one actually, at the moment now, most of where, uh, because I've got relatively well known on social media and, th- and obviously through YouTube and that, I, most of the tapes that I get now are coming through people on Twitter and subscribers and that just offering me boxes of tapes and that. So that particular tape, that was found in a, in, a, in a box of tapes that I had to drive down to Cavan to get. I was actually, actually bought a box of tapes. Somebody advertised them on adverts or something like that, a box of TV recordings. And I just take a chance. I'd, I had no idea what was on the tapes or anything. Mm. But it, it turned out, anyway, that I knew straight away by going through the tapes that it was, it was a collection that belonged to somebody, an Irish person who'd obviously lived in London in the 80s and the 90s because the, the content of the tapes was all London region TV but the majority of the recordings were um, documentaries on Irish history and documentaries on the Troubles and documentaries on uh, Irish immigration at the time and so on and there was also a lot of recordings of the late late shows from the 80s when they were on Channel 4 and that's where oh. that clip um, from Eileen came from it was a recording from the Channel 4 when Channel 4 used to show it and at that time they were actually a few weeks behind, so that recording wasn't actually shown in the UK until 1984, but it was recorded live, obviously, in, in RTE sometime in 1983, you know. But it, it just gives you an idea that when I get these boxes of tapes in, it's amazing. I, I have no idea about the person who owned them or anything like that, but the box will tell you so much about that person and their life and the whole lot, but just looking at what their tape collection had, and it was an amazing collection of... Of, of tapes from, from a very kind of sad era, really, in, in mm. Irish history with, with, with emigration and that, you know. So, um, and that's where, that's where the, the Eileen clip was found, and I, I put it up, I just, you know, I, I obviously clipped out that piece from the show, put it up on uh, Twitter that day, and w- within the day, it had half a million views, and I got a thousand new followers on the back of it, you know. Yeah. So it just kind of exploded. It was, it was an incredible clip, but she was an amazing woman. And then there's a story that you, people with the comments, you find out all about it. She was from Donny Carney and her neighbours came on and they were talking about her, their memories of her standing on her doorstep on the Malahide Road and things like that. So it's amazing the, what, what, the, what the clips can bring and the stories and the background of them, you know. And generally when I'm finding material, it could take you weeks or months to find a clip like that that just resonates with people. Mm. And, and I assume then when you go around, you know, you drive around the country or you buy something uh, over the internet that's a box of tapes, it's kind of a bit potluck. You don't, you're not quite sure what you're going to get. It, that, that's exactly what it is. It, you know, you really don't. I mean, I can, I would know by, by looking at the tapes how old they are because I can, I can identify the early 80s ones, which are the, you know, the hardest ones to find. I'd know by the labels and so on. But they're not necessarily going to be 1980s recordings on those. You know, I've had a few disappointments over the years <laughs> where you've, people were still recording on the same tape 15 years later with EastEnders <laughs> or something when there was originally a Murphy's Microquism on it, you know. Yeah. So that bit breaks your heart when you get 30 seconds of a Murphy's Microquism that might be lost <laughs> in the archives and uh, it turns into a fairly recent 
version of EastEnders or Carnation Street or something. Yeah, and it is, it is actually extraordinary. I mean, obviously that Eileen clip resonated with people, but the, so do the ads yeah. uh, as well because you know they they bring you right back. So he, the, this is some more uh, uh, yeah. this is some more ads that uh, Greg has clipped for his uh, M2 video archive. The years may come, the years may go, and seasons change. But still, the sign of shopping value is the homestead on the hill. Homestead, homestead, brings value home. This man is about to get the shock of his life. Don't use tipper trucks near overhead power lines. Be warned and look up. Your life could depend on it. The interesting thing about uh, adverts from that era, they were all voiced over by the same person. Uh, I, I kid you not. Yeah. <laughs> the, and now yeah. it's, it's, it's well, obviously it's VHS uh, tapes, Greg, that, uh, but also Betamax. Well, yeah. Yeah, I, I do both. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd have equipment to transfer both. Yeah, I wouldn't have. Betamax wasn't didn't really take off in Ireland mm. in the same way that VHS did. So I mean, there are very very few Betamax tapes in Ireland. In fact, most of the Betamax tapes that I have would be imported from the UK with just U- UK TV recordings. Can you I get it, still get players for those things though? Not at all. No, Sony Sony discontinued that um, four or five years ago. I think the last one was made in Japan four or five years ago, or possibly even more. But I, like I have to, it's actually quite expensive because the players um, they're very they're actually quite expensive to buy second hand, and they're obviously because they're forty or forty, nearly fifty year old technology in some cases. They're um, they're liable to break down, especially when you're trying to do a lot of recordings on them, you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it's it, I, I like Betamax because Betamax you're, you're going to get the older footage. But as I say, it, it's it, it's it's more unlikely that you're going to come across Irish footage. I, I don't even know anyone who had a Betamax in Ireland. I'm sure there's a few people mm. out there, but um, if anyone still has them and they have the tapes, I'd love to get them off. <laughs> <laughs> and I is I assume quality can be an issue as well, especially if it's a tape that's been recorded over several times. Not really. Well, you I mean you'd be surprised. I mean, I I have tapes. I have forty-year-old tapes. Some of my recordings that I have from nineteen eighty are, you know, in perfect condition. And it, it all depends on where people keep them. The majority of people have thrown their their old videotapes up into the attic, and if that attic isn't properly insulated, chances are if they've been up there for ten, fifteen, twenty years, there's going to be white mold on the tapes. And mm. they're I, I get those all the time, and I'm you know I have a facility where they can be cleaned, but it's very time consuming. And if you if you spend a lot of time cleaning a tape and then there's nothing on it, it's a bit. You know, that would be so. <laughs> It can be a bit of a downer, you know. Yeah. But that's it. I mean, and that, that's part of the that's part of the joy, though. Is just is 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 rescuing material off tapes that I find. I mean, I, I've had tapes from everywhere. I actually had tapes from a barn one time, but there was you know, somebody had them stored up on a on a rack in, in their their hay shed, and um, they were in very bad condition. But I was able to get some gems of of very early eighties Irish TV or T off it, you know. Mm. And uh, so that's they're the they're the ones I really really want. Uh, but yeah, but you have as i understand it you have the full 14 hours of the self-aid concert i do yeah yeah i mean again that that was somebody again who contacted me to let me know that he had that so i was delighted to get that because not needless to say you know not only are you getting all the the, the full access 
as as the day progressed. But you're getting all the ads and the continuity and everything in in between it. You know, uh, Live Aid has been a lot more difficult to find. So again, if there's anybody out there that mm. recorded RTE Live Aid, now BBC, I have all of BBC with the day. That's no problem. That's easy to find. But the actual RTE coverage uh, is very. There's, there's one particular clip on that where Phil Linnett, um flew over from London and auctioned his bass guitar. And that clip is apparently lost in the ar- not in the archives because the the girl whose name escapes me you now who made the filled in a um, documentary recently yeah. was on to me looking for that clip, and um, I haven't got it. So again, that'll be something I'd love to get my hands on. It's, it's it's on the wants list, as they say. Because an awful lot of the stuff you have, uh, RTE themselves don't have. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I mean, that's to be fair. That's not RTE's fault. That was mm. just the nature of. The, the, the business at the time, very little was kept, especially anything that was recorded live, you know, um, and it, programs like Anything Goes and things like that, there wouldn't be very much of that in the archives. And self-aid probably wouldn't be much in the archives because they just didn't keep it because they, the tape was expensive and so on. And um, I mean, even going back to Italia 90, with the, when the time, the, the famous moment when Naaman Dunphy threw the pen that time, and uh, he allegedly said he was ashamed to be Irish. And then the following Wednesday, the next Ireland game, RTE wanted to clarify that he didn't actually say he was ashamed to be Irish. So they showed the tape back, but what it was, was it was a VHS tape that they showed, and the sound quality was terrible. <laughs> and uh, So it was obviously probably just somebody in the staff who recorded it at home and brought it in to, to, to show this, to prove that Eamon Dunphy didn't say he was, he was, he was um, ashamed <laughs> to be Irish, you know? So, uh, so it just goes to show that back to that time that, you know, the, the material just wasn't being kept. And, uh, and that's, that's really what I'd be looking for. I mean, I'd be looking for anything between 1980 and say 2000 because after 2000 pretty much everything is digitised so it's yeah. not rare it's not lost you know so yeah. that'd be the era that, that, that I, I kind of hunt down more than anything else uh, Now I do want to play another clip uh, from the Killian M2 yeah. uh, archive uh, and it's <laughs> brace yourself for a shock kids uh, there was a time uh, when television stations would end for the night so this is the end of transmission for RTE1 And to look at the weather now, mostly cloudy overnight with occasional outbreaks of showery rain, heavy in some places with a risk of thunder. Very misty also with extensive fog. Temperatures 5 to 8 degrees. Further showers during the day, some heavy and prolonged. Temperatures 9 to 12 degrees. And that's all from the newsroom for tonight. Very good night to you. It's been a cold, wet, miserable night, but I hope we've managed to keep you by the fire with our programmes this evening here on One. We're back on air tomorrow at 7am with Euronews. And at quarter to nine in the morning, Jeannie decides to get her own back on used car salesman with the usual results in I Dream of Jeannie. I Dream of Jeannie. That's how long ago it was. Uh, Greg, did this, uh, would you ever run into kind of, uh, is there any kind of copyright issue uh, with RTE given they own a lot of this stuff? 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's, uh, some people that would be familiar with the, the channel uh, will, will be remember about 18 months ago, I had a, a, a problem, RTE actually did, they took down, I think it was about 18 or 20 uh, clips. Um, they basically, you know, got onto YouTube, filled out a takedown notice and the, and the clips came down. And there was a little bit of a reaction then from followers that were saying, oh, you can't do this, you know, he's got footage that you don't have, why are you, why are you doing this to him? People want to see it and he's got a big audience. And it was, the, 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 my followers basically sort of fought a corner for me and the, the Sunday Times picked up on it then and they'd done a bit of a story on it and then I'd done kind of the rounds of quite a few radio stations at the time just talking about the archive and, you know, the, the whole copyright issue and so on. And what was happening was, I was actually at the time, I was actually supplying RTE with footage because they would regularly ring me when they're making documentaries. Huh. The, the, the people who are making documentaries for them would ring me for footage. So I'd actually supplied quite a lot of footage, and I still do to RTE. So I think it was just a case, I, I think because obviously it's such a big organisation, I think it was just a case of one office wasn't sort of talking to the other. So while there was, while there was one girl in one office filling out forms, getting clips taken down off YouTube, there was somebody in another office ringing me, asking me how I got something for a John Giles documentary, you know. So, um, but it, it all kind of, you know, I, I think it, it it just fizzled out after that, and I I, I haven't had any problems. So I, I I like to think, I hope anyway, I think they understand what I'm trying to do, and I'm not doing it for commercial reasons or anything like that. It's very much a building an archive, a cultural archive, you know, that'll be of use in in years to come. And you know, I'd be very sensitive. I know from from running the channel i know kind of to put it one way is i know what i can get away with in a sense there's nothing commercially valuable to rte on my channel mm. that they're likely to be putting out on dvd or anything like that in the near future you know yeah and you're not doing and this for, the, for money or anything like that this is just a oh passion no absolutely not no the, i mean i couldn't do it anyway even if i wanted to because everything that's on the channel is owned by somebody else whether it's the ads they're owned by an advertising agency it's the continuity it's owned by rte and so on and so on you know so the, you know, it, it, it's a, even if I tried it, I wouldn't be able to get away with monetizing the channel. You know, I wish I could because of the, the, the figures that I get, I'd be able to do it for a living. You know, you know. So, but no, that's that's it. It's done as a labour love. I mean, the, the the whole social media aspect of it is a small part. Really, what I'm trying to do. Is, is actually build a proper archive of missing footage because it, there's a big kind of cottage industry in the UK of that where people actually work with BBC and ITV and help them find it. You know, we don't have it over here and I, I, I'm not sure why. I, I think it's mainly because we, we don't have iconic shows like Doctor Who and Beatles mm. and lost episodes of the Top of the Pops with the Beatles on it and things like that, that people, you know, there's a huge industry in in, uh, in the UK for, for trying to source all this sort of material, you know. But, um, no, I mean, even what I have on the internet or what I have online, it's only a fraction of the actual footage I have. I mean, I've 15,000 VHS tapes, I've 5,000 Betamax, and I've about 10,000 DVD-Rs. Um, so there's... Wow. about 100,000 hours more of footage. I'll never even get through it myself, but what I'm trying to do is sift out the best of it and, and, and find out the, what's what's lost and what's missing from the what I would call the National Archives. Because yeah. at the end of the day, you know, RTE was... They, they, they had the... They had the monopoly from 1961 to 1998 um, when when TV3 came in. So, you know, I'd, I'd kind of regard it as a, a national treasure in a sense that uh, the archive and then trying to fill the gaps in whatever's in the real archive is is uh, is all I'm really trying to do with it. And all those thousands of tapes you have, Greg, where do you keep them? And does yeah. it cause you domestic difficulties? No, I, 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 I 
I, you know, I hope people don't think I live in one of those houses like you see in the uh, chronic <laughs> orders and things like that. No, it's, it's, it's actually, yeah, it's actually quite organised. I've, I've a converted attic and I've a couple of sheds, and I live, I live down the country, so I've no, I've no shortage of space. Ah, and, right. Uh, they're, they're, they're well, they're well protected and well insulated. And as I say, I, 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 I could move them on very easily anyway at any stage because I'm in contact, I'm in contact with other collectors and things like that all the time. So if I need to ship any out or move them on because I have them digitised anyway, that's that's not a problem. I'll find yeah, them for them very indeed, quickly, yeah. you know. Uh, somebody's texting so, in to so say that they has he, he has all the Ireland games recorded from Euro 88 and Italia 90, if you've any interest in that. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, they, they'd be easy enough. They, they'd be easy <laughs> enough. To find. I have most Ireland games in general. You know, right, home yeah. games going back to the eighties, yeah. But yeah. Uh, it, no, that would be one of the more popular things. All the everything around the uh, Italia ninety and ninety four, and even two thousand and two, Saipan, you know, mm. and all the montages. Every, everything from the the studio is, is is really popular with the with the with the archive. Yeah. Uh, is there that's, anything that's kind though? Of the main stuff that I share. Yeah. Is there anything, Greg? Though that for you is like the Moby Dick clip that you want to get. Not not clips as such. There, I mean, there would be certain shows that are very hard to find. Um, I'm I'm always looking for MTUSA. If if anybody ah else, yeah, MTUSA Fab Vinny yeah, Fab Vinny yeah. They're very they, they very rarely turn up. And you know, a, a lot of this you might remember at the time. You know, in the UK, I find that there's a lot more eighties. It's easier to find material from the 80s. And I, I can only put it down to, I remember at the time myself and my family in the 80s, we only had a couple of tapes in the house, mm. you know, because they were expensive. Mm. And uh, that's why we, we, we were just recording programs to watch. I, I remember it was very rarely we were recording anything to actually keep, you know, and that's why a lot of this, it, this material is very hard to find because there, there wasn't a whole lot of people that had a load of tapes and they were recording stuff to keep and keeping a library and so on. Um, I'd have a few people now who worked in RT themselves, presenters and so on, who've given me their personal collections of, of the work that they've done, and I've digitised it for them, and then obviously in return I get to keep, you know, the copies of that. So they're, it's, as I found, you know, it's, it's the people who have worked in RT themselves were, were the people who are doing the recording. Um, but no, the, the, the non-stop pop will be another show from 1982 with Jerry Ryan, which was mm. recorded. I was actually at a recording of it myself. It used to be... Um, they recorded it in the top hat in Dunleary, and um, I so I if uh, there's no there's no episodes of that anywhere. I'm not even sure if RT have, have have episodes of it, but I mean there would have been some quite big name acts from the time on that. Um, anything from Anything Goes as well. Anything Goes. I don't think much of that was kept. Um, they had some great music acts on that, so I mean people are always looking for clips from, from Anything Goes so I would say Anything Goes uh, MTUSA and um, any of the music shows from the, the 80s Right okay well if anyone listening has any of those uh, you can get it or we can pass on your your details to Greg but great, uh, yeah. yeah you can also uh, contact Greg uh, Malloy at the Killian M2 uh, video archive which is on YouTube uh, Greg thanks a million uh, for speaking to us today This is the hard shoulder, Kieran Cudahy, with you until seven o'clock. And time to return to our series here on News Talk, exploring the twenty most influential moments of this century thus far, as voted on by you, the News Talk listener. So we've had boom and bust, we've had Saipan, we've had nine eleven, we've had plenty more in between. Today we have been talking on the station about the birth of streaming, and there's been lots of coverage here about how this was such a disruptive force. You've got Netflix and Prime and Disney Plus, of course, most recently. 
recently and now TV and everything else and how they have, like I said, upset the apple cart when it comes to traditional uh, media. What we want to focus on is how successfully one particular genre of television has migrated to streaming platforms. And that's reality television, because some might have thought they wouldn't have found a home there, but they have, and they've been hugely successful. So here to talk to me about it is Eleanor Hutch of Evoke.ie, self-described reality TV addict, and Dr. John Francis Leader, a researcher at UCD in the area of psychology and technology, presenter of Body, Mind, Self on YouTube. Eleanor, were you always a reality TV fan back to the early days of Big Brother um, I absolutely was Kieran. I used to devour Big Brother I think especially as well the early series of Big Brother they used to let you watch it live now I wasn't you know watching it in the middle of the night but you nearly were dipping in at certain points of the day just for like that hit like nearly serotonin hit to find out what was going on and then we also have to remember, if you think about the structured reality show, you know, the Osbournes and Jessica Simpson were the originals with those. I think the Osbournes, Ozzy Osbourne is best known for reality TV, not for yeah, Black Sabbath. That's true. Uh, like there are shows um, that lend themselves to streaming reality TV shows more than others. I'm sorry, if we give those two examples, and they were both pre-streaming really, but I know Big Brother is still happening. But if they were happening today, mm. Big Brother probably doesn't because people are getting voted out all the time. So you kind of want to, you know, keep up to date with what, what, what's happening on the ground. The Osbournes, though, something like the Kardashians today, like that really does lend itself to to, to binge watching, doesn't it? Oh, it absolutely does. I mean, you're right, like Celebrity Brother, Love Island, those kind of ones, you know, they're nearly like something medieval where we all tune in to see the villain and Shakespearean almost. But um, the Kardashians does. But then there's a lot to be said about the Kardashians and their business model and even how they work. And they don't, you know, their show evolved from a simple reality TV show into this kind of circus where they tease things ahead of time on Instagram and all of that just to make people tune in on the Sunday night and watch it. Um, so even though you can stream it all now, there's there's a bit of them, um, they kind of like to tempt you in as a viewer. Like <laughs> if you're kind of thinking, oh, I mightn't watch it. It's gotten a bit boring. Kim will throw something on Instagram to hook you back in. It's all, it, it is, we are all addicted, I think. Uh, John, uh, John Francis, uh, John Francis leader, like I said, researcher at UCD is on the line as well. John, there might have been a, a, a view of reality TV, you know, certainly maybe it was kind of a snobbish view that this was just pure filler and that when it came to something like streaming, those people who suggested that would have thought this will never survive because, you know, once people have a, choice about what to watch who would choose this it kind of gets it's the stuff it's yeah. wallpaper television it ends up in the background yeah. but it has been hugely popular some of it hasn't it it's really reinvented itself hasn't it if you think about you know documentaries back in the day remember the time when there was a documentary which you know at least to some degree portrayed itself as you know independent reality but now that boundary has been blurred so much and uh you know, Eleanor was using the word addiction there, and that, that, that's kind of the point, really. It is that hit that we get sometimes when we're not uh, not in contact with something we're trying to follow. So particularly something that involves social connection and relationships, a lot of these shows, interaction between people, we're hardwired to want that anyway. When we relate to a person's story, we want to connect back in with it. But when you've got uh, streaming services, when you have things on demand, well, then that ability to keep in contact with it, the blurring of, you know, putting some stuff on social media and then some of it in the TV show and some of it somewhere else. It's very compelling. 
So, so streaming actually, it wasn't just a case that it kind of migrated across and has done well because that's where we all are now. Streaming, by its very nature, it, it, it kind of breathed a new life into some aspects of reality TV. Yeah, it has certain affordances to it. Part of it, out in the media and entertainment psychology lab that's directed by Dr. Brandon Rooney out in UCD, that's been running, that type of research has been running for quite a while, looking at old media methods, like going to the cinema and watching films and how we engage and how we feel effectively when we're having these experiences. But different platforms have different affordances. Cinema, at least back in the day, was the idea of getting together closely with other people and having a shared experience. Mm. And you know, TV, of course, was a bit more accessible than cinema in that way. But of course, with, with streaming, do you remember back in the day, which wasn't that many days ago, but you'd have to go hunting for the right VHS in your cupboard to take that cassette and then put it in and then press play. Or you'd sit there watching TV, hoping something would come on. Yeah. That's such a dramatic difference. And there was actually a friction in that which was useful. Because, yeah. you know, it stopped us from binging too much. But now, of course, there's a different model and it's very, very good for people selling media. It, it certainly is. I'm struck, though, as well, the idea that when we move to streaming, we'd lose that shared experience hasn't really been borne out, though. Has it? You know, that it... You think of those big shows like The Crown at the moment. Like The Crown is available at streaming. People can watch it. People can wait until next year to watch it. They can watch it all at one go. They can sit down on a Sunday and do it. They can do whatever they want. But it has become this shared experience amongst people. And it's the same yeah, for other it, big shows. You're right. It's an interesting transference of that because now the idea of being together in you know 100 people in a room watching the thing has shifted. So some people do watch it together, of course, but a lot of the time people are alone, at least physically watching it. But you're exactly right, because of social media, the, the experience is augmented. We're talking about it. We're, you know, thinking about it beforehand. We're messaging people around it. So the shared experience is kind of shifted. And that's actually an interesting part of it, because that reaffirms the reality of the show. When everybody's talking about it, it starts to seem and feel more real. So often we believe reality TV a bit more. And there's nothing wrong to some degree with that. But mm. the problem is, even with the best will in the world, the producer is going to choose the more interesting scene or the more dramatic yes. one. People are going to play to that a bit more and that has mental health consequences sometimes. Okay, well, let's, we might talk about that in just one moment, but but I want to play a little clip, uh, Eleanor, from, from one of my favourite reality TV shows. Um, no, we, uh, apparently not. We're not going to play it, but it's Love Island, and I've said on this show before what a fan I am of Love Island, but I guess it's one of those yeah. that people do look down their snout a little bit at it, so I'm going to ask you to defend it. Oh, I will defend it to the hill, Kieran. First of all, I think there definitely has been people looking down their nose at it. And, and in a lot of ways, it's very similar to Big Brother. It's just, I'd say, you could say it's a little bit more glam because they're out of Mallorca. Like they do have a habit of picking people who, I mean, they don't even look like real humans anymore. They're so, you know, extreme looking, some of them. <laughs> yeah. But it's this perfect mechanism of drama where the producers, they are just invisible enough that you don't see them, but you feel them there. You know, if there's a bit of drama, you know, the second the show starts getting boring, they throw in some plot twist that is perfect. And you know what, if Liam Gallagher and both Stormzy are going to watch it and tweet about it, and Lena Dunham, who's a very acclaimed TV maker, and say that it's brilliant, you know, kind of the, the highbrow people are starting to come around to it. And as well, you know, you'll see it in it, like they'll, they'll be a villain, would we say, or, yes. you know, a couple that you were rooting for. Suddenly someone, <laughs> their head has been turned, which is the thing they say a lot in the show. Uh, suddenly the producers will come up with a way to get rid of the third person 
and put the original couple back together. Uh, it's very good manipulated reality TV. And John, if, if highbrow people, as Eleanor said, like herself and myself are now watching this, <laughs> I mean, is is this where some of the danger lies, though, the, the, the unreality of the reality we're watching on Love Island? Yeah. Eleanor was saying, I'm a therapist as well as a researcher. So what I almost hope for is the hyper real. When it's so crazy, you look at it and go, this is really entertaining, but it's not real. I I kind of almost like that because the dangerous bit is when it seems so real that you start to think, why am I like that? You start to compare. You know what I mean? It changes your self-concept a bit. That's, I think, the worry part. So that's the hope, I suppose, is that it can be kind of hyper real and we notice that. Or the other thing we can do is kind of almost manage your own media diets a little bit. If we're getting caught up in something, realize that this is highly curated. This is only one way of seeing things and to stretch our imagination the other way so we don't get too sucked in and Mm. feel pressure to compare ourselves to it. Well, listen, fascinating stuff. And I thank you both for your time. Uh, Dr. John Francis Leader, a researcher at UCD in the area of psychology and technology and the presenter of Body, Mind, Self on YouTube and Eleanor Hutch of evoke.ie and reality TV addict, as she says herself.